Hello, everybody. How are you out there? Welcome to the Jam Room Podcast. You're with me, Scott. I hope you've had a great week. It's been a great week over here in Perth. Still enjoying the summer holidays? I hope you are, too. It's leading up to Australia Day, and holy shit, it's going to be a good one. Um, we've got a couple of episodes to, to get out to you guys um, uh, for then. But uh, the whole week has been dedicated to this debut album, fucking can of worms that opened up. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have been uh, enjoying yourselves going down the rabbit hole of great debut albums, because I certainly have. And uh, we're going to discuss them over the next few episodes. And I don't want to take too much time to go through these, because like I said, it's a can of worms that I opened up here. And it's, yeah, probably never ending. So it's, you know. Something I do want to wrap up at some point, so we'll try and get through it rapid fire. And uh, so today's episode, uh, we're going to address one of the categories that I mentioned last episode. Um, so just as a recap, it was kind of uh, like three main chunks, let's say, um, of, you know, obviously there's going to be cross between a lot of them, but uh, three main chunks, I was going to talk about debut albums that just influenced me in my formulative years. Um, then we're going to talk about sort of great Australian debut albums just because they're, you know, part of the culture here in Australia, things that I would have heard on the radio at nauseam for some of them. Uh, but either way, at least I can recognize their impact on the culture, regardless of uh, me liking it or not. And the same can be said for that third category, which is just for international sort of things that stood the test of time, things like the Beatles and et cetera, et cetera. And to be honest, that, that category you guys can kind of figure out for yourselves. Um, but we will mention it. We'll just give shout outs uh, when we need to and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but for today's episode, I uh, decided to get Curtis involved to talk about some of his favorite albums because, um, you know, we grew up in the same place at the same time. Just to give you guys a bit of a bit of a context here, Curtis and I have been friends for probably over 25 years now and um, although he's based in Melbourne at the moment that's why when we talk he's on the phone um, you know he only moved to Melbourne a few years ago so he, he definitely grew up in the same suburbs the same streets listened to the same music uh, we deviated at certain points throughout our history together um, and that's kind of what we discover as we're going through these debut albums is the, the points of difference but also a lot of the points of uh, similarity there which is pretty fun and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I've got another episode uh, that I'm going to bring out to you guys pretty much straight away. So at the end of this episode, I'm not going to throw up any music or anything like that um, because probably the next day or within a couple of hours, I'll release another episode. Um, put some music at the end of that or whatever. Uh, but this is just our discussion into sort of the most subjective uh, batch of debut albums, which is the ones that influenced us quite a lot. And like I said, we agree on a lot. We deviate a little bit. Um, and I want you guys to get involved with this because I, uh, you know, I have a fairly diverse sort of um, taste in music. But, you know, there's always things that I would miss out there. Like, for instance, after chatting to Curtis, I realized that, you know, we were kind of including some artists that um, did like a great debut album outside of bands they were already known for. And stuff like that. So, um, for instance, uh, an album called The Eraser by Tom York. I think it was his debut solo album. And that album was fucking awesome. 
uh, we didn't really talk about it um, at all and didn't get mentioned on the list. So I kind of tried to keep my list short, as short as I could. Um, and we, we try and get through them. We seem to have put them in a bit of a chronological order. Now, remember, guys, when we're talking about these debut albums, they're debut albums of um, like great bands that influenced us, and we might not have been around for their debut. So we might have um, been absolutely captivated by these bands later in life, later in the band's career, but in hindsight realized that they're debut albums were fucking fantastic so some of these albums would have come out before i was even born but regardless they're definitely worth a mention here okay um so that's what we're trying to get into a little bit and like i said it's a fun little rabbit hole to to find yourself you know burrowing down and i suggest you do it as well so hit us up um on on twitter or on facebook or no actually not facebook fuck facebook um twitter or instagram or um just email me all my details will be below if you want to check out curtis's shit um his handle on instagram and twitter i believe is at outer spec outer o-u-t-e-r spec s-p-e-k i think he spells it all one word out of spec, yeah, check him out, follow him, follow me, and um, hit us up with any of the great albums that you think should have been on this list. I mean, I know you shouldn't be on my list because it's my personal sort of subjective thing, but there's a hell of a lot that I did not remember. And um, I mean, I only know what I know, and I don't even really know all of that. Because let's face it, if I don't have the right trigger to pull something from memory, then it's not coming to mind, and I'm not going to talk about it, but it's still true. So fucking... Help help me remember some things, guys. Um, hit us up, Instagram, Twitter, at Jam Room Potter Podcast, or you can email me, which is scott at thejamroom.com.au. And so, uh, yeah, here's a little bit of a conversation with Curtis, and we're going to get into the fucking greatest debut albums, sort of around that uh, early 90s through to maybe 2010-ish sort of chunk of time. Um, which was our formulative years when we started listening to music, started playing music, all that sort of stuff. Um, so these had a big impact on us um, to this day. And uh, I guess later on, like this is probably another little um, little category that I should throw out there is like brand new debut albums, sort of like 2010 and beyond. Um, but I don't know if I can make comment about how they're going to stand up to the test of time because they haven't had the time to stand up to yet. But we might still talk about them because there are great bands still coming out with fucking amazing debut albums as we speak. So maybe we'll talk about them. I don't want to spend a whole month on this topic, but uh, I opened it, so I guess i got to close it. And anyway, so this is the first little installment of a discussion about debut albums with Curtis uh, from Melbourne. And... Um, I'll talk to you guys at the end of this conversation and uh, stay tuned to the podcast because there's going to be a new episode coming out this week as well. I'll give you guys a couple of things so we can really just try and rattle through this. The next episode is going to be based on Australian sort of stuff. And then we might tackle the international and brand new um, bands sort of in another podcast later on. But I'm going to have to flesh that one out a little bit because it's um, it's too big for little old me. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you've had a great week. And... Uh, Hope you've been listening to some wicked debut albums out there and being surprised of who the fuck came out of the gate super strong. Because there's a bunch of them. Anyway, take care, guys. I'll talk to you on the other side of this conversation. So 
So yeah, did you fucking get down the rabbit hole of this debut album thing, man? Um, I did a little bit. Um, I was trying not to put too much thought into it because then I felt like it wouldn't be like genuine, you know, like. Oh man, I I, I, I got to tell you the fucking different processes that I went through. Like it was a, a wild ride. Like it was an idea I had on, on, on a podcast and then I was like, all right, let's, let's try and flesh this out a little bit. And then it just escalated from there. And it's been super, super fucking fun, though. Um, but Jesus Christ, I did not know where to start. So did you, you you listen to the last episode where I tried to explain what kind of categories I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I did, man. And it does make sense to try and put it in different sort of... Um just to try and look at it in different aspects. Cause obviously there's going to be yeah. like the classic aspect of it where it's like, yeah. And then that's the least subjective one. So that, that's the one that like yeah. I, I'm, I'm recognizing as being a fucking masterpiece just because I still know about it after however many generations. Right. So like the Beatles that I talked about fucking those are sixties. That's, that's dead and gone as far as I'm concerned. However, it's not. So I've got to pay respects to that if it's a debut album, you know? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's definitely not if it's still sort of getting playtime and pe- people are still talking about it and yeah. it's still impacting and, and people's so, so, lives. And, and along those lines is why I did that other tier of the Australian shit because I realized that everything's going to be under the framework of... Um, and, and you were the same. You grew up in, in Perth over the 90s, 2000s. So we, we kind of only a condition to really see what was popular in the world because of our community, which doesn't necessarily represent the world. You know what I mean? Something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's going to be this Australian bent to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's just natural considering we grew up here, you know, but, um, yeah. So like, as I'm... far, as far as those timelines go, uh, do you have a like a list of albums that you want to that you want to mention? Did you get like a little bit of a hot list together? I slapped up some. That's not really in order or any type of particular list that means anything, but just ones that sort of stood out that I've been thinking about. Um. All right. I no, mean, no, no, no. Be, be, before before you before you mention any, um, do you know like kind of what year they were released and all that sort of stuff? Because if not, I can just pull up Spotify and I can research it on the fly just so at least we get that little bit of background on them. I did write down the years they were released. All right, yes. sweet, sweet, sweet. Yeah, I, I did the same. Yeah. So, like, um, I didn't want to cover all of those fucking categories with you. Like, I thought we would mainly try and focus on, like, the, the ones that were just subjective because cause we grew up together. So there's going to be some things that we... Um, disagree on but a lot that we agree on and we can kind of flesh out this time period as far as being like impactual music whether or not it was a debut album that we heard as a debut or a band that we fell in love with early and then their debut album was still really good even if we missed it at the time you know what i mean yeah exactly so yeah so a lot of the ones i was kind of thinking of it's not necessarily the first time that i heard them but 
it's still impressive to think that that was their first release. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got a lot like that as well, and it's different for each one. Um, but what kind of time period are, are the, these albums out in? Like, do you still do you like? Were you impacted by something from the seventies? Have you gone back that far? Because as far as I go back, I go back like sort of early nineties into nothing more than two thousand and ten. So that that little, let's say, twenty year period. And that was our like formulative years of getting into music and kind of setting our styles and, and then we pursued beyond that. So it's not really me talking about like a debut album that came out last year that I think is fucking awesome. I'm trying to talk about those little formulative years, let's say 1990-something to 2000-something. Well, yeah, I was kind of, yeah, exactly what you're sort of getting into is I was kind of... Think of shit that was actually relevant to our generation. See, like I was yeah, in the formulative years of, of um, primary school, high school, sort of, uh, and then just a few years beyond high school. That's kind of what I you sort of bracket it with. Is, 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 have you kind of done the same? Essentially, yeah. I'm pretty much early, 90, early right, 90s sick. through to like to 2014 i think is the latest one i've got Ooh, that's a bit later than the the one that i've got here but i've got you know probably 10 plus albums that i want to sort of rock over um so this is the impactful debut albums and so the one earliest to latest then like uh well see, see this is the thing like it could be the earliest album doesn't mean that that's when i heard it it just means that I yeah, might have yeah. heard it way later on. All right. Yeah, we can do that. Um, what's the earliest one that you've got there? The earliest one I have is Tool Undertow, 93. All right. See, I didn't I didn't list that one because I'm not a huge fan of it. I know it has Sober on it, but I didn't list it because it was just one good side. I really listened to it, man. It has Sober. It has I'm glad you did, though. Yeah, um, yep, yep. And I think, see, like, Paul D.R. Moore's bass tone was kind of revolutionary when that was released. For me, I think, like... Going yeah, the heavy, heavy pick and... Yeah, yeah, you can hear a lot of pick attack and, like, chunk of the actual string of the guitar. It's really cool. Yeah, that was, like, real heavy, proggy kind of... Like just a new sound, I think, for like just playing bass in general. Yeah, I mean, I might be wrong about that. This obviously, this is all sort of just opinion based. Yeah, this this is the most subjective layer of um, everything we want to talk about with debut albums. But this is the kind of stuff that like real niche stuff, and it's obviously not niche now. Tool's a massive, massive band, but I don't know if everybody agrees that their first album was that hot. But you're fucking right, it is. Um, yeah, I'm glad you put it on your list, man, because I, I was, um, was tossing and turning about that one. Yeah, it, I mean, it, there's no doubt about it that it was kind of revolutionary, and that's kind of what I think makes a standout debut album a standout debut album, you know? Like, it's... Yeah, it was and, and so, so what, 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 what's going to make this sound so gay is um, w- like the earliest one that I've written down... Uh, it's just because I was thinking more in those um, sort of years. That, like, I went through this big period through uh, early high school um, wanting to play guitar. So I was just into fucking guitar. So I wasn't into Tool. 
I was into fast guitar playing and, and big riffs and shreddy sort of stuff. So I put down as my earliest uh, was Kill Em All by Metallica from 83. Uh, and and I yes, only added yeah. that to the list today because I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> like in my formulated years, Metallica meant a hell of a lot to me. And I fucking pretty much practiced guitar for as long as I did because of Metallica. Um fucking whatever they're doing now who cares and in hindsight whatever it doesn't really matter um but fucking i looked back at the first album and it was like yeah i know kill them all holy shit fucking hit the lights uh seek and destroy fucking four horsemen these songs like i still sing around the house man fucking if i have to turn the white like tell the wife to turn some lights off fucking i start singing hit the lights um, so, yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah. it, man. It's, it's and, uh, it came out hot. Yeah, and let's face it, these bands have stood the test of time. So that's um, it, they're going to be more relevant in the future. By the way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because people are going to yeah, know no, totally. Tool. People are going to know Metallica forever. They have got their fucking stamp on rock history. They're not just some obscure band that is going to just fade off into the obscurity it came from. They are people that fucking held their own for a very long time. So, Definitely, yeah. man. What, All right. what did you say that was again, actually? Kill 83. 83. 83. Holy shit. That's yeah. But, but that's a big jump from my next one. That's a big jump. Um, that's the only one that's an outlier. Everything else is in 90s and 2000s. Right. Yeah. right? That, that, is, that is actually an impressive one, though. Considering our age and the, the year that we grew up, for that album released in 83, yeah. I mean, fucking what is that like five years before we were even born to mm. have such an impact, you know, and you're right. That, that is impactful. Yeah. And it but is. That to have such like a, a fucking, um, a taint on our childhood. That's, that's massive. So yeah, that, that definitely deserves yeah. to be on the list. But it, it, if we, if we keep it at this pace, it's going to take a long time to get through these, which I'm happy to, I'm happy to take our time with these ones because, um, <laughs> those, those two albums were fucking awesome and if we agree on doing this uh, chronologically again it's not when we heard the album it's when the album came out yeah we'll go with that but that's not necessarily why it's impactful we might have heard about it later on in life or whatever because my next one comes from 92 when's your next one my next one is 94 so you go first all right cool i'm talking about fucking the album blind melon by blind melon See, I don't know that, man. See, again, it was pretty later in my life. Not not, not later, later, but I'm talking the early 2000s that I really got into this album. But we all fucking know No Rain. Right? Do we? <laughs> you definitely know this song, No Rain. It was on like every single skate video or every surfing video when we were in uh, kids early two thousands. Like it was huge. Fucking, I can't believe this. Um, you know what sucks? Like I'll address this now because it might be it might be something. I got to tell this to the listener. I, I really looked into. I wanted to when we said song examples, actually um, play like a little clip of the song. Really hard to do. You cannot do that on a podcast, right? You can't. They do it on uh, other podcasts. Yeah, other people's songs and stuff. But uh, you know, it's it's what it is. I don't want to get kicked off Spotify and all that sort of stuff. So I can't can't play it or whatever. But you know, like sometimes you record things, and um, like the neighbor is playing some music in the background, and you just sort of hear it, and it's yeah, yeah, this song. 
Can't believe the neighbors started playing this as soon as I said it. <laughs> I can't really hear that, dude. <laughs> Of course, yeah, yeah, I know that song. Yeah, yeah, the neighbor just turned up the stereo as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. So we, we like, um, so, but the rest of that album is fucking amazing, and it's not that style at all. That's like kind of their "Nothing Else Matters" song that's on the album. It's completely out of, out of step with the rest of it. The rest of it's just a great rock album, and it was their first album. They came out fucking heavy. Um, so that was my next one. Nineteen ninety two was Blind Melon. Yeah, and the album oh, was Blind oh, Melon. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a. a big uh, the song. singer, by the way, is part of the Twenty Seven Club as well. I think. I'm pretty sure. He's one of these dudes oh, no, who died true. real fucking young. Like, um, yeah, we didn't get the best from him, but you know, we got what we got, and it was really good. Devastating, mate. All right. So yours is ninety four. Who's in ninety four? I think you're gonna. I think I know what you're gonna say. I have corn self titled. Okay. Corn, okay. I tossed corn. up about this sort of stuff. Yeah, I've okay. got 94, Korn released a self-titled album, the first one, and it opened with the big fucking track, Blind. Yeah, you got to get that one. To this day, one of their best songs, man. The opening song for their first album, Blind. And I don't know, man, that stands the test of time. That fucking, that kind of started like new metal. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Because I have a new metal band in here as well from 97. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I'll, I'll, I'll buzz through real quickly. Fucking $3 bill, y'all. Yeah. Lip Biscuit. Biscuit. Uh, with fucking, yeah, yeah. like, Counterfeit was on that. And that's a great track. And Wes Borland's guitaring was revolutionary. So was um, everything going on with Corn, with Head and everything. Like, that style of, like, seven-string fucking... Like getting riffy again, you know, like going away from the thrash metal scene. Like it was the death of the thrash metal scene is when those bands came out, right? Because Metallica was still kind of going strong. You're talking about '94, like Metallica's like Black Album was like '92, '93, right? Sort of or '91, whatever. Like not that far off. And so metal still yeah. had this fucking weird riffy, but kind of like uh, gay ballad sort of like vibe to it you know what i mean there's always like a weird ballad for no reason like i don't know yeah, what, what it was yeah. like everyone just like singing ballad. sensitive for a little while or whatever these guys just came out fucking hot with some aggression that we hadn't seen for a while it's hell refreshing a hundred percent man i think i think 94 when corn released their self-titled album that's kind of when metal started branching off into different genres yeah people started that's, um that's- fucking with things other than just the speed of your guitar solo yeah. You know, like Pantera was kind of over. It was the death of that. I mean, that, that, that scene still exists and it still keeps rocking. I'm not going to um, bag on them or whatever, but like uh, way more other elements started getting introduced to the heavy riff. You know what I mean? Like with Limp Bizkit, yeah. like what I'm talking about with $3 Bill, like all of a sudden we had this thing that was just disgusting to heavy metal guys and disgusting to hip hop guys at the same time. And, yeah, and, and just like divided everybody. Like Limp Biscuit fans, like had to fucking pretend they weren't Limp Biscuit fans in a lot of crats. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Towards the late '90s, yeah, it was like, yeah, is is it cool? Is it not? 
people were kind of embarrassed, but other people were proud of yeah. the fact that they loved it. And dude, it. It was- I, I was one of those people because I was a Metallica guy. So I was yeah. one of those people that fucking hated this this new thing, especially when um uh, what's that other fucking band that 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 did that uh, the dude that killed himself, um, around the same time as uh, Chris Cornell, Chad whatever. What's his band? Come on. I, I don't know, man. Oh, You're gonna have shit. to give me a bit more info than that. Anyway, um, <laughs> it was it was again just that that new metal sort of thing, and I was completely against it because I remember my brother kind of liking it. I mean, he'd be like, "No, no, no, it's not real music." Because you know, I was a guitar player, so I fucking I I, I considered I do, like I shredding solos is uh, the coolest thing in the song. I was wrong, by the way, but um, yeah. So I didn't really get into how genius like Wes Boland's guitar playing in Limp Bizkit was until like later in life. And you look back and yeah. like, holy shit, this guy was doing some fucking phenomenal things. Oh man, yeah, it's incredible. His the tone of their instruments as well, not just the guitar, but the bass and everything, and the fucking just the, the style of like the, like the beats that were under the riffs as well were more kind of like hip hoppy beats. With yeah. the chunk, you know? Yeah. Like, Dude, you listen yeah, back to like um, the, the, those early, early ones. Like these guys have like tuned their snares super high. We hadn't heard a snare drum like that before. Um, and it, uh, like with a lot of early Limp Bizkit, it's fucking an open snare. So there's it's it just sounds like a really high pingy tom. It's fucking yeah. ridiculous. Like we hadn't heard drums like that before. Mixed with like these deep, deep tuned bass lines. Yeah, it's fucking, yeah, it's fresh. I think there's three bands we need to accredit to the birth of new metal. That's Limp Biscuit, Corn, and Deftones. I have Deftones. Uh, See, Deftones dude, I, don't, I really don't like putting Deftones in that category. I really don't like it. Well, no, I do for their first album. Deftones are one that have sort of transcended genres. All right, so do you have Adrenaline as one of your on your list? I do, yes. And there's reasons why. All right, all right. I mean, well, what year? Give us the year first and then go into the reasons. So, Deftones Adrenaline came out one year after Korn's debut album. So, Korn was 94. Mm-hmm. Deftones Adrenaline came out 95. With fucking bangers, there's at least five songs on that album that I still listen to to this day. That's Bored, One Week, Roots, Seven words and engine number nine. Engine number nine, I listened to quite a bit. I, I, yeah, that one's definitely stood some tests of time, as far as I'm concerned. And and it kind of solidified like new metal at the time. I think like Corn sort of steps it up with their with their uh, self-titled album, then Deftones with Adrenaline. Um, yeah. Brought like a whole new sort of vibe to it, man. Um, I know, I know, was, but like, I, I, what what I don't like, like, I don't mind the corn and um, Deftones together. I don't like lump, lumping Limp Biscuit in there because I know some of the guitaring is genius in a very similar way, where it's just got this heavy, wicked rhythm to it. The energy of the bands are just completely different. I don't like them being in the same genre because Deftones are more mature and are better. I'm just going to say that. Well, they became more mature. They became, they became more mature and better. Uh, but the, the writing was on the wall from the get-go a little bit. Ah, uh, I don't know if I can... Because I added Limp Bizkit, but I didn't add Deftones. Fuck. Yeah. It's a tough but, one. It's a tough uh, one. But if, if, if they're part of new metal, like there's also bands like Sunk Lodo that were really fucking amazing as well. 
in that new metal yeah, scene. 100%, yeah. Um, Deftones is new metal. I don't call them new metal. No, I don't day. either. But those, but the first album is 100. Okay. percent Maybe even that second one as well, like around the third. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but there's they're still the, the, even like then, the stone even rock elements the to it. Um, so yeah, even like around the fur had a few songs that weren't really new metal either, but, but just, just the first album kind of kicked it off, you know, especially just yeah. following fucking. And again, they've left their stamps, so it's going to be appreciated more and more in the future. So it's one of those ones that might grow into a timeless classic as well as being just one of our favorites. Because, yeah, Deftones yeah. definitely have, have been one of those impactful bands. I don't know if that album was the one that really did it, though. But Now that I think about it, man, this is one that I didn't even have on the list. But Rage Against the Machine as well were also around that same era. Mm. And they all toured together. That was like the early, like, by this point, it was kind of like mid-90s. It was like Korn, Deftones, and Rage Against the Machine were all sort of touring together as like one sort of unit and that was kind of the birth of new metal and then sort of Limp Bizkit was sort of just after I think yeah and, and let's face it they came out of the gate fucking hot um, so their album Rage Against Machine came out in 92 um, kicks off with Bomb Track second track Killing in the Name yeah 100%. so fucking yeah Jesus Christ yeah I didn't add it to my list either because I'm not a huge Rage Against Machine fan but I gotta respect the shit out of that but we're not talking about those ones that are just impactful we're supposed to be talking about the subjective ones of why it means something to you right so that's kind of dude I've got another one from the 90s here but uh, I think we'll get back to that one um uh because it it deserves a bit of bit of time dedicated to it so now we're getting into the 2000s what do you got next I've got right dead on 2000 and I know we're going to agree on this one, man. Murder noms. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect circle. They came out of the gate fucking hot, man. They came out of the gate in probably one of the most spectacular ways I've ever seen because literally, I'm counting here, the first six tracks of the album are all bangers. Every single one of them. 100%. Like, it comes out of the gate with the hollow, which is a. A, like <laughs> you've never heard anything like that from Maynard because it's such a like a, it's a rocky song, but it's different to any style of rock you've ever heard before. Then Magdalena comes on, and it's kind of giving you this ethereal space. Like again, it's nothing you've ever heard before. Then Rose comes on, one of the one of my favorite tracks from the album. Then Judith, which was like a big single and all that sort of shit. That was just a pretty classical rock song, but still a banger. Then Arrest is yeah. then Three Libras, and Three Libras, in my opinion, is fucking. Like one of their best songs, yeah. not just the best it's, song. I think it's like a perfect song. I reckon it's just beautiful in every way. There is nothing wrong with that song. There's not a single note I object to, or a single lyric. Like, there's nothing. It's just so fucking gorgeous. Yeah, you're so, right. It is like, a beautiful song. Yeah, that sure. that album in in 2000 is a fucking yeah. It's a serious feat, man. It, it definitely sort of settled them their place in, like, music history. Just all of a sudden, this one album, it was like, holy shit, yes, this band is... They're already one of the greatest, and we can tell there's going to be good things coming from them in the future. And yeah. it was also kind of 
it's it's I mean it's kind of cheating a little bit because it's a side project. So Maynard was already pretty well established. Yeah, but but but, but like uh, I was thinking the same sort of thing. But it's not like it's a super group. You know, yeah, that's true. Um, it, that's... Everybody else is yeah had a bit of experience and stuff like that. But really, the creative genius behind it, um, Billy Howardell or whatever, he um he was like a guitar tech for fucking Tool or whatever. He was just a guitar tech. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he never pretty really much made his own sort of yeah. stuff before, right? Sorry? He'd never really made like his own. Not that stuff I know before. of, man. Yeah, no, nah, I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um yeah. But uh, yeah. It's one of the best. It's one of the best. I don't think you can fuck with it because it's I mean, they've grown into their style again. Like their newest album is by far my favorite. But um, holy shit, they See, came I out of the gate strong. I prefer their second album still, 13th Step. To me, that is my favorite of theirs. Nah, man, you're wrong. <laughs> nah, come on now. 13th Step, man, that's, that is phenomenal, that album. But anyway, we, we can't start talking about second albums. Yeah, no, no, no. That's a whole nother can of words because <laughs> second albums is normally where people like really hit their stride. So that's a whole nother level is what second albums were. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. We'll be talking about things like fucking Michael Jackson's Thriller and stuff. I don't know if that's a second album, but that's just a guess. But you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. When people we'll polish their it. shit up and it's like, oh, holy crap. All right. So that, that, that's the 2000s, man. Um, what do you got for us? Um, see, I have a weird one here. It's because I remember when you first mentioned it's on the pod. You were talking about debut of uh, certain musicians. It's not necessarily the band's first album, um, but like you know. Yeah, I know. I just glossed over. Um, Blink-182 in 1999 with Trav Barker's debut. I just glossed over that, even though it's really important. But I was going to include that. I just scrapped it. I've got one here that I kind of... I want to throw out. It should probably just be disqualified because it's not their first album. But it was the sort of... You know how bands change their style and they kind of evolve? And, And in this case, a certain band did it they changed, they evolved, and they released an album in a new style, which gave birth, I think, to what we now consider emo music. And well, I, I don't know if that's I'm, worth celebrating, Curtis, but go ahead. Keep going. Well, I think it is, man, because emo is one of the biggest fucking music scenes. In what, like, what do you mean by emo music? Because well, I, I, I don't really know. Emo... Um, like, what What do you mean? I don't know how more I could explain that. By just saying it's genre title. You, you can maybe, I don't know, what, what kind of bands are we talking about? Give us an example of a band and I'll maybe get a, well, what I was trying get to a get picture is, of a vibe. Because I really don't know. This is a scene I missed. I don't know this. When AFI released Sing the Sorrow in 2003. Now I'm with you. Now I'm with you. All right. I know what you mean. That, that The screamo emo thing. Yeah, that yeah. was kind of revolutionary. Maybe we should just... Yeah, oh, my sister was a huge fan of all that sort of shit. Um, Bullet for My ba- Valentine, stuff like that. Am I on the right page? Yes, yeah. Okay. Around 2003, 2004 is when kind of... Yeah, yeah. Like, emo, like, modern emo, what we consider it to be now, started. Yep. 
And they released their, their singer sorry in 2003, like right at the midst of it. And that kind of sort of made it what it is today. But let's not get into that because it's not their first album. It shouldn't, I shouldn't have even mentioned it. Um, yeah. Well, if, if it's a debut of a genre, I guess that's kind of in it. It's not what I asked, though, Curtis. But I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I just had your little weird train well, of thought I, well, here. <laughs> you, you were mentioning, you know, the debut of Travis Barker on an album, on a Blink album. But that's yeah, yeah, because so let's like, face it, his well, drumming performance is spectacular for a debut album. You listen to any song from um, Blink-182's Enter of the State, you're blown away as a drummer. It is so yeah. clinically not what you expect from a skate pop punk band, right? Yeah, man. Drumming before that in like in like pop punk or any punk was kind of just so basic, quick. Just that quick fucking uh, the snare, snare kick drum, snare kick drum. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Travis Barker brought something completely fresh to the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, there's all weird, trippy, like groovy type beats, like all the toms and shit. Like, yeah, it was insane. Yeah, yeah. No one had drummed like him on that kind of music before. And yeah, he's stood up to the test of time, man. He's fucking one of the greats. Jesus, we weren't wrong back then. And I remember yeah. that. That's one of the ones that, like, all this debut album stuff, a lot of them are albums that I discovered after discovering the band, right? Um, but yeah. this one was the album that made me discover the band, except for just hearing like Damn It and stuff, you know, in the past. But this was the album. Yeah. I remember buying this album in 99 when it first came out, you know? Oh, I remember being obsessed with it. Yeah, Even I have it on vinyl it. now. It's fucking great. I was obsessed just with the fucking album cover alone, man. I fucking had fantasies about that shit. <laughs> yeah, man. No shit. She's gorgeous. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, after that, I've got 2005. All right, I'm going to cut in before then. I'm going to cut in before then because there's two albums that I want to talk about that are going to absolutely be not up your alley, but were personal absolute miracles to me. Um, Okay. And they're both in the same category. They're both what you would maybe say like um, New Zealand reggae dub sort of bands. Well, I know who you're talking about. All right, so 2001, Fat Freddy's drop released based on a true story, the first there album. There it is. Yeah, and and so, so, so the background of this album, man, is they did no advertising whatsoever for it, and it was they just relied on word of mouth. And guess how I found out about it? Fucking word, word of, mouth, of mouth. And someone just lent me the CD. And that CD that he lent me, um, whenever it was... I still have to this day. <laughs> it's scratched up like shit. But th- this album, uh, like the first song on the album, Ernie, takes like seven minutes to even get into its first groove. Like that's ballsy as shit. Just to have these yeah. like light reggae vibes going for that long to actually finally get into a groove. And then it, but it's got like songs like The Wandering Eye and like Dark Days and This Room and like just incredible tracks. And this band has just gotten better and better. And they're one of the best live things to ever see. Fucking 2001. They came out of the gate fucking hot. I've got to mention that band. You're right, man. I didn't I didn't have that on my list, but you're right. That is actually a good album. I have listened to that and fucking... It's one of those albums you can put on start to finish and have a great time. And it, there is, I, I've never met a person that hates Fat Freddy's Drop, you know? 
Not only was it a great introduction to the band with their debut album, but it's also a great introduction to that whole genre of music. Exactly. And, and so I, I had this little insight into this this band, right? Um, yeah. And then uh, 2002, uh, another New Zealand reggae dub sort of style band-ish releases an album that I fall in love with again. Um, this is the band Rhombus. And you will know some of this stuff, Curtis. So Rhombus, they released that that album, Bass Player. Yes, man. Holy shit. Yeah, that was their debut album, 2002. Yes, dude. I remember that, man. I think we were like living together around that time back in the yeah, day yeah yeah in, in the in the um in the Connolly house all the time. That, that was yeah fantastic. so i like the reason i got this album like i was going to meet liam and a bunch of other dudes for like lunch in the city or some shit and liam calls me before i'm about to leave to go meet them and he's like rhombus bass player that's all you need to hear you're gonna love this album just go buy it so i went straight away like back in those days there was no spotify or anything so i went and bought the cd Chucked it in the car, drove to the city. Didn't really care for the first half of the album. It was a bit weird. It's like a, a hip hoppy kind of reggae thing. And yeah, whatever. Didn't but then it gets to the halfway point and like the last five, I would say, five or six songs of the album just descend yep. into like into this coolness. Then by the end of it, you've got one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Like the song Sweetness right at the end of the album. I fucking love that song. It's one of the greatest songs of all time, and and they just. I'm actually, I'm super glad you brought that up because I want to re-listen to that now. Yeah, well, I haven't even but, thought but, about but, that. But what it was really to me, like what it really was, was like a lesson in the dynamics of a whole album, of taking people from one place and then by the end of the album, you've taken them somewhere completely different that you never expected to go. I didn't expect mm. to get into this cafe jazzy kind of thing by the end of it, and 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 adore the shit out of it. And that's what Liam knew I would like about this album. But um, yeah, again, yeah, it was yeah. word of mouth finding out about it. But yeah, that was 2001, 2002. So they were ridiculously good albums. Your next would one's you, from what year? Would you, sorry, just before I go into that, would you describe that as being progressive? If it starts off in one I really do. I really do. That is, my, that is my definition of progressive is that it takes you, it progresses. It's simple as yeah. that. Simple as that. Um, it doesn't matter where it progresses to or how it progresses. As long as it progresses and doesn't just stay in the same space, then it's progressive. Yeah, well, that, that's mm. exactly what I always thought as as progressive being. Like, you can't really say a certain riff is progressive, but you can no. say a song is progressive. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. You know what and I mean? people like, say, oh, it's a very prog riff. It's like, oh, yeah, that just, you really, if you say a prog riff, you're talking about just choppy time signatures. And some confusing notes, maybe. Oh, it's progressive because they're using fucking notes out of the scale and, you know, that's kind of moving forward. That's kind of revolutionary. It's progressive in that sense. Not really. That's not how yeah. I talk about it. Anyway, when I talk about progressive music, I talk about music that takes you somewhere, that does a bit of a journey, yeah. you know, because that seems to be a common trend in most progressive music. They seem to do that. So that's the thing that st sticks out to me anyway. Whatever. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah. So yeah, anyway. so, yeah. so that, that was the New Zealand sort of scene popped up there. By the way, some of those bands have gotten really good, like Rhombus, for instance. I, I don't really know if they've lived up to that first album yet, but I hope the best for them, you know. Got to be honest here, man. <laughs> you know. 
because it's weird with some debut albums how it's it's really good and then they get better and there's some that are really good and then nothing happens then they just get progressively worse which happens a lot yeah so yeah so so, yeah i'm just saying Mm. i'm just saying i'm just saying so that was 2002 when's your next date um having a look my list is a bit all over the place i think it's 2005 all right i've got oh fuck i've got one from back in the 90s that i forgot to mention but um talk about uh, no i can cut cut that off cut that off we'll talk about that one a little bit later but um so we're getting into the 2000s 2005s i've got a couple i got a couple of 2005s i actually have two for 2005 as well all right go for it i think they might be the same i've got team sleep self-titled i've got three for 2005 (laughs) (laughs) it was a good year then that was a good year that was a really good year (laughs) I remember I've that, got man. One for 2005 that I don't actually like, but I think I need to bring it up anyway because it was massive. Okay. Okay. Um, first, I want to talk about Team Sleep, though. Okay. Team yeah, Sleep go ahead. I want to talk about it as well. It's definitely on my list, but I just didn't see it um, listed as 2005 because I've got two others for 2005 as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, let's so talk about Team, team Sleep, team, man. What the fuck? Team Sleep fucking just. Holy shit, out of nowhere, it was a side project from Chino, the singer from Devtones, but everyone else in the band is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact. Amazing the drummer. drummer. Yeah, the, the drummer from Team Sleep was actually Chino's neighbor when they grew up. That's ridiculous. So, What's in that fucking water, man? Yeah. So, and I'd never really heard anything like Team Sleep before. I remember hearing that shit and just being fucking blown away. It's like like dark alternative rock mixed with like electronica vibes. Exactly. So so uh, like right here I'm going I'm going to interject and I am going to talk about that album that I left out from the 90s cuz like my my notes are all over the place and I just found this one. Um so right there in 2005, you know, it's just post high school whatever. Um, experimenting a different style of music. This is where I started um, really getting into like Björk and uh, Radiohead vibes. And one of those bands that I really got into was fucking Lamb. And their debut album from 1996, um, self-titled album, um, is a fucking monster of an album. And I listened to that album thousands of times. Right in that sort of era, right? And at the same time, I was listening to heavier music like Tool and and Deftones and and stuff like that, right? Um, And then I hear something like Team Sleep and it's taking all these electronic elements that I'm loving from from things like Björk and things like um, Lamb and then it's combining them into this sort of fucking proggy, rocky kind of nice guitars and just wicked and Chino's voice for Christ's sake. Like, yeah, dude, I was in heaven when I heard that album. It was just a mashup of, like, all your favorite styles, like, coming together, you know? Yeah. And, and, and dude, yeah. in, my, in my notes here, because uh, I was going to talk about, like, what, what does make the good album. And, and like, I think we've kind of already agreed just sort of, like, implicitly over this, um, that it's, like, this handful of good songs, like, four or five, three or four, if it's an older album, one or two, stuff like that. Um, yeah, dude, this yeah. album I've listed uh, seven songs that are amazing from this album. 
Yeah, I remember you actually being into Lamb a lot. I, I no, no, no. Really I'm, like I'm talking about Team Sleep now. I'm talking about Team Sleep now. I'm talking about seven songs from that Team Sleep album oh, that are fucking amazing. <laughs> that are oh, amazing. Dude, the whole album, yeah. I fucking, I cringe. The whole like album, that. but there, there's, 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 there's some songs that, you know, yeah, I can skip over. I'm going to be honest with that. There's some that I actually, can just skip over. Actually, to be honest, yeah. There's, yeah. there's a, but, but, but see if you agree with this list. list. See if you agree with this seven song list. Ataraxia. Your yes. Skull is Red. Yes. Princeton Review. Yeah. Boulevard Nights. 100%. Our Ride to the Rectory. Yeah, yeah. King Diamond. Ah, oh, that's another one of my favorites. Paris Arm. Yes. That's seven. Definitely. And there's probably more. That's, yeah, that was my top yeah. seven from that. That's seven tracks in a debut album. And like I said, yeah, we've got one guy that's got some experience, but he doesn't sing like that in Deftones. This is a new thing for him too. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and a whole bunch of people that uh, no one had heard of before. And oh my god! And this guy to come out like I got to give props to the drummer. I wish I knew his name right now, and I could look it up. But I'm too lazy. I was just about to bring up the drummer as well. I'd never heard beats done like that before. It was he's like a genius. And if you watch like the live Woodstock sessions that they did or whatever it is, they did some weird um, live show that you can find on YouTube. Um, watch this drummer. He is a fucking pro. I don't know how he's not a household name as far as drummers go because his his style is. Off the chain. Off the chain. Well, what kind of blew my mind about the drumming in Team Sleep is you listen to it and, like, drummers would know that that it's a, a good fucking drummer behind these beats here, but it's easy for someone that's not knowledgeable to just assume it's just programmed drums because he, he I think he uses, like, a sort of a yeah, it's a hybrid sort of sounding kit, and there's definitely triggers in there that are like um, making things with delay go off and stuff like that. But that delay's all synced up to his tempo, so he's still triggering these things. And like I said, that's why I said watch those live clips, and you'll realize just like how amazing it is with what he's doing. Yeah. His groove is just so fucking fly. I love it. I love it, man. Definitely, so, man. Yeah. That's still that's, and that's still in my probably top five albums of all time. Yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. Well, it's actually their only album. Yeah, it is. Probably yeah. should mention that. They only ever released one. Yeah, album, unfortunately, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's what it is. It's I what heard, it is. So, I've so. Heard some rumors about them maybe doing another one, but I'm not sure. I mean, Chino is such a fucking busy dude. He's got other bands as well. Another one of his bands. Uh, is actually on the list as well. I'm gonna Crosses. All right, so should we just like, I know it's jumping forward to 2014, but should we just quickly cover sense. Crosses? Because it kind of um, fits into, the, like, I love it for the, pretty much the exact same reasons I fucking love Team Sleep. Um, yeah. Except yeah, that it does have a different feel to it. The drummer is a little bit different, but like uh, that doesn't take anything away from it. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. So Crosses self-titled as well in 2014. Yep. Hundred percent. That was that was kind of also like the yeah I don't know that's just it's just fucking but amazing. but I got to mention this is a, this is a weird one to say as a debut album because it's kind of a collection of songs from two different EPs that they had previously released. So I was already a fan prior to 2014 when they released them as an album because I remember when the album came out that day and I was fucking ecstatic. Yeah, um, well, but uh, yeah. but I already knew half the tracks. The EP was actually the biggest drop, for sure. 
Yeah, um, but I, I've got a I've got a list here of five songs that I think are just flawlessly gorgeous songs. Um, this is a trick. Yeah. The epilogue. Yeah. Prurient. Yes. Hold on. Pause there. Because it's the Prurient. best song on the album. hundred percent. Hundred percent. Prurient is probably if I had to pick. It's probably my favorite song ever. Um. Dude, I would be right there with you with it on that one. Uh, it's yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I have a little cloud of songs that I can't really choose between, but it's in that cloud. Well, yeah, so do I as well. I have a, a bunch which alternatively switch between you know my favorite song here and there, depending on what sort of mood I am. But with with Brilliant and Crosses, that's also got like some sort of special sentimental sort of things to it as well so because of that i'm kind of just i have to choose that as my favorite song so yeah so this isn't just a great debut album this is a debut album that happens to hold your favorite song of all time on it so it's got a special mention i guess yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and but also option and um telepathy great songs on yeah. the album right yeah 100 yeah. percent, man so yeah, that, that, that was a bit of a junction there because I want to skip back to 2005 because Australia did really fucking well in 2005. We had two oh. albums that still hold up as some of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, we're talking about Cog and we're talking about Carnival. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, so um, yeah. I remember 2005 and I... I've actually, I've actually, just let me go to my one first because I don't really want to talk about it too much. It's also in 2005 yep. and I don't actually really like the band but I think it's worthy of a mention because it kind of, it impacted the world. It, it, like globally, it had a fucking impact. Mm -hmm. And this is Wolf Mother. When they released their okay. first album in 2005, sorry, everyone was fucking, do you remember how quickly they got fucking like globally massive? Yeah, that's true, man. Everyone was talking about fucking Wolf Dude, is, Mother. Is that the album with Joker and the Thief on it? Yeah, it's got they Mind's really... Eye. It's got fucking... That's yeah. really... Really, that's all from their first album? Yeah, dude. God, that's fucking hot. Good on them. They, they, they came out of the gates fucking strong. Like, it was like combining like all these these old school fucking 80s vibes with like the new modern rock. And yeah, it took the world by storm. Wow. I wasn't really a big fan personally. I thought it was kind of cheesy, but... Everyone fucking loved it, so yeah. I thought that is, Did, uh, that's worthy. It, of it is worthy of mention, and there's a bunch of other bands like the same as that around that same time that were Australian bands that that, that just popped off. Um, and I'm, I'm going to get into it a bit more, I think, maybe, maybe with John because he he knows more of the Australian scene a little bit better. But we're talking bands like Jet and 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 the Vines. I don't know. What uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but they they kind of did like they Jet fucking they they took off globally, right? And that was their fucking first album, you know? Yeah, like, that's Aren't you going to be my girl and stuff like that? Like, yeah, you got to mention I didn't like that sort of shit too much. But I remember seeing Wolf Mother. I actually remember seeing Wolf Mother because I was there for Carnival. Yeah. <laughs> fucking yeah, high, well, like, high on one time. Album, same year, man. All right. Cool. So, so 2005, Cog released The New Normal. If you haven't yeah, had a chance to listen to that one. album and you want to know about Australian prog rock, Listen to these guys. It's a three-piece band, and holy shit, they do a tremendous job. Their drummer, 
Jesus. They'd like I remember going to COG concerts, like quite a few of them, and I would go with a drummer friend of mine, Patrick, who people on this podcast would have heard drumming before. Um, and other drummer mates from our work and stuff and uh, literally just looking over at them and there's just like this line of like four or five dudes all drummers just with their arms folded staring at the drummer that was the whole show i'm there dancing and getting into the fucking the show or whatever <laughs> drummers not that they were they were like they were there for a lesson from this guy you know yeah yeah dude yeah yeah, they're just soaking it the fuck in. It was so cool, man. Um, and the the first time I saw Cog was uh, Carnival were supporting them, and so Carnival came out with The Martyr, um, two thousand five. Yes, that was huge. And uh, Carnival at the time did not have a drummer. Uh, Drew Goddard, who's a guitarist, also a fantastic drummer, drummed and recorded the album and did both guitar parts. They got a, a second guitarist and a new drummer while they were touring this album, right? That alone is worthy of some sort of fucking medal or something. Their debut album, and the guitarist recorded the fucking guitars, drums, and bass. Well, he did win medals, man. He did win medals. He um he got the fucking uh, uh, you know how they they do the the I don't know if it's Whopper or Wham or something like that. One of these Australian government institutions does like a yeah. like award guitarist of the year. He won guitarist of the year a bunch of years in a row. He definitely got the accolades he deserves, but he needs a lot more, and the band needs a lot more because that album they came out hot, man. Also, writing the drums, man. The drum beats were revolutionary. I've never heard timing like that in some of those songs on Thamata. I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Yeah, shit? songs like Rockefort, really hard to, to, to tap along to and figure out what's going on. There's, there's a, a bunch of them. Um, yeah, you're, you're right, man. Like, he's not just an average drummer that just, like, filled in. He's a fucking monster himself. Yeah, man. But Small what's interesting is that the drummer they got, Steve Judd, is a mammoth. You know? If we're talking about massive yeah. drummers, whatever's bigger than a monster. I, I went for mammoth. I don't, you know, it sounds pretty gay now that I said it. When I said it out loud, it sounded really gay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, he's a fucking incredible, incredible drummer. Um, and I'm not going to say better or worse or anything like that, but holy shit, Carnival's gotten better since then still. I don't really like the latest stuff as much. That's because to of be the honest, singer. The Come on. We all know it's true. Wait, what? <laughs> it's because of the singer. He's kind of dropped the ball. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course. Yeah, mm. it is because of the singer. I'm not a fan it's of It's a taboo anything. thing to say, but oh my God. It's true. Yeah, I know. It's typical. Everyone's like, oh, don't yeah, like but, but we're talking about debut albums here, Curtis. So let's get back on track. Carnival the Martyr. They're all in sync. Well, that, Ian Kenny does an amazing is- job on vocals on that album. Fucking incredible. Yeah, and to and to me, to be honest, the Martyr, their first album, is still my favorite album of theirs. So yeah, me too. Me too. Start to finish, definitely me too. Like like pound for pound. It's got more bangers yeah. in it that I that I can dig to, and I can't tell you how many times I've lost my voice trying to sing along to it. You know, it's fucking crazy. It's great. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. So that's the two thousands, yeah, uh, two thousand five ish or whatever. What else do I have? I have a random one, man. And um, you might have seen this if you looked at my playlist or whatever. I'll probably talk about that on the podcast. I'll probably talk about the the playlist thing because um, again, other people to contribute as well. I reckon that'd be cool. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Battles. 
Holy shit, battles. Battles. Yeah. I, I added I battles. Now, I added shit. battles for a very specific reason. It's not a good album. Let's just put that out there. It's, Dude, no. it's difficult it's listening, man. It's very difficult listening to get through that entire album. I tried again over the weekend. Um, but... But when it's it hits, it fucking hits. It, but like, so, so this is the reason why, why, why I'm, I'm adding it. It does something that no one's ever done before. It's really revolutionary. Yes, man. And I think it is worthy of still being on the list because there's there's a lot of shit songs on it. All right, well, let's quickly just actually mention the album. 2007, an album uh, by the band called Battles uh, released an album called Mirrored. And I remember buying this on CD. And uh, getting blown away, being absolutely blown away, but confused as shit at the same time. I was confused and blown away all at the same time. Were yeah, you the same? 100%. I was confused, um, but there was moments that fucking drew me to it and I could not stop listening to it. There was probably only about four songs and we said, you know, between three to five good songs on an album mm-hmm. that qualifies it. There's yep. four songs in the album that I fucking loved and I was drawn to and I had to keep listening to. There was something about it. I had to keep listening to these fucking songs. Yeah, and I'm the same. Like, there's a song, um, I think it's like track five on the album or whatever. It's called um, Lion Decker. I wrote it down. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't going to remember that name. But it was something like poppy mixed with this weird, like the drums are recorded in such a raw way. It's almost. It almost feels like it's just room mics recording the drums. It's, yes, and that's the beauty of it, man. It's got this wicked quality to it, and I fucking loved it. And the drummer himself, my god, like it's so many. It's so strange how many of these albums that we're talking about. It's the drummer we're drawn to that did something. You know, we talk about Trav Barker. We talked about Crosses. We talked about like um, Team Sleep. It's all about the. The drummer, that's not so much true of Crosses, but, um, you know, the drummer. Yeah. We talked about that just with Carnival and with Cog, and, like, it, it, there's something that's never been done Dude, before. And I fucking love Battles for that. Did you ever get to see Battles live? No. Man, it all fucking made sense. When I saw Battles live in, I think it was 2007 at Soundwave. Okay. Well, that, that would have been just when they released the album. They would have been, no, I was there. Yes, I saw battles. Yes. Well? Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing battles. Yeah, and it all fucking made sense. Yes. To see the band. I, yeah. Like, because it's okay. kind of, it's weird. With the, with the band battles, it's kind of like the drummer is the lead singer. They don't, they, yeah. they have vocals, but the vocals are kind of just. No, they're like synthy recording like things that um, are triggered and, and stuff like that. It's, it's not a lot. Yeah. So yeah, the, the the sort of keyboardist will like just sing a little bit and loop it and shit, and he'll like sing little parts and start like looping them and fucking with it with like his synth thing that he's got going on. But essentially, the the band out when they when they're laid out on stage, it's like the opposite to what normal bands do. They have mm. the drummer front and center, right up the front with just a very simple, very basic sort of drum kit, but he's got his, like, crash cymbal super high up as well. I know, he, he, dude, it, like, he's, he's doing like, the Superman um, pose whenever he's playing that crash. It's fucking wicked. Yeah. And all the all the, the synth player, keyboardist, the guitarist has all this weird fucking effect shit going on. 
they're kind of all surrounding him in like a semicircle. So the drummer's kind of like the star of the show, and he's the only one that's just pure acoustic. And dude, listen to the, listen to the songs. He is the star of the show. He yeah. like he yeah. somehow creates like I don't know, I don't. I don't want to say melody with his drums, but he creates hooks with his drums. Yes. So yes. you're following the, the 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 pattern of this rhythm to get to a a, a hook, and a, and it might resolve every every four bars or something like that. It doesn't really matter, but like Jesus, he's the thing that you're following as a listener. He's yeah, definitely yeah. So yeah. he's on my list as well. And like I, like I said, I had this list. Um, and it was like probably 12, 13 songs, uh, or sorry, artists on here. And we've kind of got through all of them, except for what I wanted to talk about back in the nineties, which again, I grew a appreciation for later in life. I didn't hear it in the nineties was, um, Jeff Buckley's grace. See, I was never a big Jeff Buckley fan, but I'll let you take this one. <laughs> well, well, as someone that wasn't a Jeff Buckley fan. Let me let me tell you why this album is ridiculous. Uh, he plays guitar like nobody else. He's got a voice of an angel. Um, he <laughs> he had, that's cute. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. You know, I'm not. You know, I'm trying to sell it to your grandma here. <laughs> he's pretty cute. He wears tight pants. <laughs> no, but Ooh. but either way, he um. Listen to the album, and you'll and you'll know. I mean, that's probably the biggest advice I could give. But also, you definitely know this. Um, his rendition of Hallelujah. Yeah, it's one you hear, hear on Shrek and uh, whatever is the best version of it. So, like, just the sheer balls to do a cover of a Leonard Cohen song as heavy as that on your first album, and take it to that level. Not trying to do a parody of it, like a punk band or anything like that. Like, like actually trying to next level an already next level song by an already established hero just takes balls the size of coconuts man like it, yeah, even if it, even if that's the one song that you take from it that's ballsy but he also tried to do a christmas carol which didn't really catch on but on that on that album that's ballsy as well to try and put a christmas carol on, on an album but in between all of them are actual amazing songs amazing songs um fucking we're talking about songs like last goodbye like lilac wine you know the song lilac wine yeah, yeah it's like it, it's like the best song to listen to when you're trashed and um that was on his first album and he's he's again one of these guys that's part of the 27 club right but um yeah Okay, yeah. Yeah, so that we, we got that from him and we got like this little album later on, like a kind of a you know, after his dead they found a whole bunch of random recordings and chucked out a little album and some of his greatest work is on that newer sort of stuff, but his first album was actually voted as Australia's favorite album for a long time. Yeah, no shit. A, wow. a while ago, but yeah, it was yeah unanimous in Australia that we all kind of enjoyed that album. So that's one of those albums going to cross him. That's one of the ones I had to get back to because when I heard that, I figured out there was a a whole new level of guitaring that didn't involve alternate picking and shredding and stuff like that. You know, you know, coming from a fan of things like like your Metallicas, like your your Van Malmsteens and Dream Theater and shit. 
having all this yeah. other diverse music kind of explode over that period and kind of musically give you ideas that don't involve just shredding the shit out of a guitar is what kind of changed me as a musician. I remember that being a big step for you, man, realizing that being a good guitarist isn't necessarily about shredding and playing fast. That's and- that, that exact. And in fact, it's a hindrance. Yeah. In fact, it's a hindrance. And I learned that lesson quick, smart, but there was a period there that, and you know what? I'm grateful for that period because it got me to practice some chops and shit. Yeah. But that's not how you, you, you want to go. You don't, you, I don't know. Different strokes, different folks. But for, for me, getting into like like going from something like a like a Metallica or a Slayer sort of world and then listening to Jeff Buckley and realizing that that's actually more difficult. It's and it's more mature and it's not showing off. And there's there's, yeah, there's no uh, guitar solos. Invoke, and yeah. It's like to wow. Invoke some weird yeah. deeper So so like I said, there's there's this subjective episode. So that that's subjectively something that really impacted me. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, fucking nice, man. Cool. That's good. We've yeah, actually got through a fucking shitload of bands that had great fucking albums. I'm going to try and go back through and I'm going to list all of these and I'm going to get them all up on on this playlist. Do you have any more to add? Um, I do. I've got um, I've got a couple actually. All right, let's go. I've got the Amity Affliction when they released Severed Tires in 2008. That okay. was massive for the uh, like the the metalcore scene. That kind of and that's still some of those songs are still played in clubs today that I go to, man. And fucking it goes off. Songs like I Heart Roberts, Snitches Get Stitches, and they had the the cover of Love Is a Battlefield on that album, which is was huge, and that was. That did wonders for the metalcore scene, and fucking, it kind of turned a lot of people onto metalcore. All right, yeah, I, I definitely know of Amity Affliction, but I never really got into them. But oh, that's that's a fucking good one. That's yeah. I mean, metalcore and stuff. It's people either love it or hate it. I mean, I love it, but um, yeah, you either love it, love it or hate it. And if if you're one of those people that likes it, then yeah, fucking Amity Affliction, Sabotage, their debut album back in 08 was huge. It kind of changed the scene a lot. Um, another one, completely different genre, fucking 2010, when Skrillex released Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites. In 2010, that fucking... Yeah. Kind of all right. Yeah, world. I can. I, I can see. But again, that's more of one of these impact ones. Is but but did, yeah. No, you you really got into that album, didn't you? I fucking loved it, man. It was to me. It was like this is like the heavy fucking metal version of like club music, where yeah, it's like it's that. got hard breakdowns and shit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's like still dance music. Yeah, fucking, that did have a big impact. I thought that was huge. What year was that one again? 2010. All right, 2010. So it seems like our, our kind of window, like the earliest we got to um, was obviously with Metallica back there um, and then kind of flo- like closely followed by a few. And then we had a lot of the 2000s. We went all the way up to 2014 and then we back to 2010 is probably the... Because Crosses was kind of a bit of an outlier, really. 
Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. So that that's a good period because like I do want to talk again in the future about fucking ones since then, because there have been some fucking bands that like in the last let's say ten years, have really started to show up and really started to fucking make a make a difference, you know. Oh man, yeah, and I'm sure there's fucking heaps in yeah. between. Yeah, and so, well. so that that would be a fun one. It, it would be to get into like greatest debut bands of the last ten years. That's going to be a great little bit. And and so obviously we have to ignore things like like crosses because we talked about them and, and or whatever. But we haven't really delved into the the 2010s to 2020, 2021 or whatever, right? Yeah. So I reckon yeah. that's going to be our next task, Curtis. Is we're going to try and tackle that one together. In the meantime, I'm going to try and tackle the Australian thing with fucking with John because there's a there's a lot of cool shit I want to talk about with him because he's he's, he's that, yeah well he's shit. yeah and he he's into that stuff he's yeah, like yeah. he's from like actual Australian lineage like you know oh he's he's an Australian fossil himself mate absolutely and he's got that extra <laughs> fucking generation of knowledge above us so uh yeah he can he, yeah, he, good boy love that uh, I, I sent him down the rabbit hole and he's telling me bad that it's like I all right let, let me look at it it's like oh yeah shit I know those songs but um we'll save that for the podcast yeah, yeah. No, good stuff, man. Yeah. All right, man. I, I'm busting for a piss, so I better leave you. I'll, I'll call you back in a sec. Yeah, good chats, man. All right. Wake up, man. Take it easy. Cheers for that. Peace out, Jam Room. See ya. Keep it real. So how did we do, guys? Did we mention some bands that you expected us to mention? Probably. We uh, hit you with some bands from left field. Hope so. Who knows? Um, let us know what you think should have been added to that list, or what um, if you're in our sort of um, wheelhouse of age, sort of at that early thirties. Let's just leave it at that. Um, let us know what the hell influenced you growing up. I know we don't have a lot of representation from like dance music and um, country and western and stuff like that. Just genres of music that never quite tickled my fancy. Um, but probably still worth a mention if uh, if they meant something to you. So go ahead and hit us up. Um, like I said, you can follow Curtis at Outer Spec. That's Spec with a K um, on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, you can follow myself on Instagram or Twitter, which is at Jan Room Podcast, and uh, or email me directly. It's up to you, which is Scott at thejanroom.com.au. I'm going to talk to you guys real soon because there is another episode coming out real soon. Maybe even within a few hours. Who knows? Because I've um, done a lot of work and spent a whole week fucking really trying to categorize these thoughts and uh, whittle down a little bit of a, a hot hit list of debut albums. So the next one that's going to come up is all about Australian albums. But this one today was just the things that meant a lot to us. And uh, sorry for the indulgence, but it is what it is, guys. Have yourself a great little time, and I'll speak to you guys very soon. This is the Jam Room Podcast. (laughs) 